Today is Mother's Day in Australia. Every country celebrates Mother's Day on a different day of the calendar. But for Australia, it's I think, the first Sunday in May, isn't it? He's asking, what do people in Australia, how do they celebrate Mother's Day usually? Sunday lunch together? Am I right? <laughs> Make mum breakfast in bed? Said, Mother has fed us many, many times, so we give one meal back to mum, it's not very much. There's one family he knows, they used to be very poor, had to live very simply, um, but when the children grew up, they become, became quite wealthy through their work, and so they wanted to repay their debt of gratitude to their <coughs> mum for bringing them up, so when they felt they were wealthy enough, they invited their mum to eat out every day, take her to the best restaurants, eat the best food every day. You'd say, Mum, you don't need to cook anymore. We'll, we'll buy the food for you in restaurants. Unfortunately, if you eat in restaurants every day, if you're aware, you, after a while your cholesterol level goes up. You start to have blood pressure problems, heart problems. So it, she had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> He's bought a book from his monastery in <coughs> Thailand. And this book, they've only got one, it's just being made, so I can't give it away. But the page that it's open at has pictures of the relics of Ajahn Chah, our teacher. Relics being parts of the body since he died that have crystallized as a sign of the purity of his mind. So there's, uh, you'll see in the pictures, hair of his head. It's gathered together and little crystals are formed in the hair. Um, the bones from his ashes, from his cremation, have turned into relics, crystallized, um, and different body parts. You'll see the pictures of them. Uh, we'll invite Tanajan to give some teaching now, and obviously he'll speak in Thai, so be patient. Just quietly meditate if you don't understand Thai, and then I'll be translating for him afterwards. Today we have come together to do good at Buddha Bodhivana Monastery. We're remembering the occasion we call Wisaka or Vesak, the occasion when the uh, Buddha was born and enlightened and then entered Parinibbana these three events each time happening on the uh, full moon day in the sixth month, which is usually in May. So last night many people came here to practice meditation through the night to celebrate this occasion. And we also did um, the circumambulation, candlelit circumambulation around the hall three times to show our reverence and gratitude to the Buddha. This has been the occasion for myself and the other monks who have come to Thailand on this visit for us to come and join you, join the Sangha and lay community here. And I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to see the strength of 
the commitment of both the Sangha of monks living here and all the lay supporters of the monastery who come together on these occasions. We have Ajahn Kalyano as the leader of the Sangha and there are many of you who come here from different directions, different parts of Melbourne and other parts of Victoria to practice the Dhamma. Um, we can see that there are people from many backgrounds, different culture, cultures and languages, but we all have one thing in common, and that is we have a faith and an interest in the teachings of the Buddha, and we're interested to follow in his footsteps. Even though he passed away a long time ago, um, but his teachings, the Dhamma, they're still with us today, and they're being upheld through the practice of Buddhists all over the world, through the Sangha and through the lay community. We are fortunate that since the time of the Buddha there have been enlightened teachers who have really penetrated the Dhamma that the Buddha taught and thereby been able to pass it or hand it down to us from generation to generation. There's one time uh, Subhata, a monk, came to see the Buddha towards the end of his life and asked a question, a question which was a sort of a Dhamma reflection, asking, are there footprints in the sky or do footprints exist in the sky? Uh, the question meaning, is there such a thing as Nibbana outside of the Buddha's dispensation, the Buddha's teachings? Does it exist? The Lord Buddha answered, no, as in, Footprints, you can't make footprints in thin air in the sky. Similarly, one cannot attain Nibbana or the end of suffering or enlightenment unless one follows the Eightfold Noble Path. And this is what the Buddha taught, the Eightfold Noble Path. And the Buddha represents these qualities that develop through this path of practice, the purity, the wisdom, the compassion. The Buddha himself was an example of, the, of these qualities in the way he lived, the way he practiced uh, and encouraged us to follow for our own benefit. Last night about a hundred people came to meditate in the hall and stay up all night meditating uh, out of faith in, in the Buddha and his teachings. And this is... Uh, this is an expression of how much we see it is important, the example that the Buddha gave and how we, can see, we see it's important for ourselves to follow this example. We can be very proud that we have been able to build up this monastery so far to establish it um, in the proper way, to build up this, this hall here and the other facilities in the, in the monastery. It's made it a place where many people can come regularly to do good, to hear the teachings, to practice, to meditate and so on. We come here because we see that life still has its suffering, even though we might have experienced some success in the world, some happiness. We can also see that there is the suffering of what we call sangsara, the cycle of birth and death, birth and death. All of us are subject to old age, sickness and death. We must die one day. This is what we are looking for a way out of through our practice of the Dhamma. It's only through practicing the Dhamma that we can find a way to reduce our suffering and finally eradicate it from our lives. 
to do this we have to practice but to practice is it's about training yourself practicing wherever you are training with your mind practicing with your mind wherever you are I remember one time when I was a young monk I was attending on Ajahn Chah our teacher at his kuti in the forest and he asked uh, an interesting question it was again another Dhamma teaching he said can't the Buddha be born in Thailand or can't the Buddha arise in Thailand of course we all know that the, the historical Buddha was born in Lumpini on the Indian Nepalese border and became enlightened in northern India uh, there was only one historical Buddha but look, what Lumpur Chao was pointing to was that the qualities of the Buddha the wisdom, the compassion, the purity these arise in the hearts of human beings it's human, human beings if they follow the Buddhist teachings the Buddha's path they can all become enlightened and that's not bound by time or place or country so whether it's Thailand or anywhere else if people really see and realize the Dhamma in their heart then they'll see the Buddha one who sees the Buddha sees the Dhamma one who realizes the Dhamma realizes the Buddha but to do this we need to practice wherever we see the truth the Dhamma then the Buddha will arise right there in fact the Dhamma is there all the time the truth of things the way things are it exists at all times whether a Buddha arises in the world or not what makes a Buddha enlightened well, it's through penetrating or realizing truth the Dhamma what allows others to become enlightened to end their suffering is from hearing the teachings from the Buddha practicing the, the Buddhist path then they would become Sawaka, enlightened disciples of the Buddha this path of practice begins with dana, the practice of generosity, charity, giving it's a way to eradicate and go against our tendency to be selfish and possessive in this world so it's something we have to practice regularly learn how to do it we have to learn how to practice generosity in families and society to support the Sangha at this monastery you can see people are bringing all kinds of gifts to support the monastery on a regular basis uh, often there's more offered than the Sangha can use in terms of food and other useful requisites so then we have a project here to send these all these extra things that we cannot use here off to support other organizations that distribute to them to the poor and the needy in the city and this is a sign of how we have generosity and happiness in our hearts if we're happy enough we're content enough in our life then we can practice generosity we can think of others and share what we have we can support the monastery um, in different ways like this we can help to build the buildings fund that, we can fund the purchase of land we can uh, support it in other ways with, with help, with labor and so on the Buddha practiced like this for many many lifetimes we say building his parami, building his spiritual perfections if the Buddha had not sacrificed uh, himself in this way practicing for many lifetimes until he became enlightened then we wouldn't know the way to practice 
we wouldn't know how to free our minds from suffering. The real aim of the practice is to bring this quality or the qualities of the Buddha into our hearts, to develop this quality of inner knowing, understanding and wisdom. We have to learn how to understand where suffering comes from, what is its cause. The Buddha said the cause of all stress and suffering in life is avijja, meaning ignorance or misunderstanding of truth. As long as we're caught into ignorance, then this will be a condition for craving and attachment and clinging to arise in the mind. And this will always lead on to different kinds of suffering. So we have to practice to see this at work, see this process of where suffering is arising in our hearts, see it at work and start to remedy it. We have to break through some of our attachments to the conventional reality of this world, how we grasp at things as being mine, myself, me, mine, myself, until we can see through to the ultimate reality that actually there is no self and all of these things that we grab onto and attach to are really without self. This kind of insight is liberating. It liberates the mind from the mental defilements which cause it suffering. I used to practice like this when I was a layperson. I regularly went to the monastery and practiced charity, supporting different charity projects and helping support the monastery in different ways. And I'd also try to keep the precepts, keep the five precepts regularly and when I had the chance to keep the eight precepts to support my meditation practice. We practice dhāna in order to help ourselves to let go of our attachments and through that we can help our families and society and the world around us. We train ourselves in morality, in the precepts, to live in a restrained way where we're not harming ourselves or others in our actions or our speech. We have to learn how to do what we can to help others. Say today, a good example of this is that... uh, Some kind lay people arrange the bus to bring those from Melbourne who aren't normally able to get here. They don't have the transport or the means to get here. So they arranged a bus so they could have free transport to the monastery today. This is a good example of how we can help other people uh, to do something good and something very beneficial for others. We can help to support the monastery, to build up the monastery, the facilities of the monastery, so that it can be a place that people can make use of to come and practice. From this, we then have to build up inside our own hearts. So as we build the monastery on the outside, we have to build the qualities of the Dhamma through the practice on the inside. We have to build up these qualities of goodness in our own hearts and minds through our practice, through our training. We have to develop the qualities of a true human being, one who has kindness and compassion for others and lives in a moral way. We can develop also the qualities of a heavenly being, one who has a mind that is very uh, imbued with goodness and compassion. We use the practice of generosity and morality in this way as a foundation for wholesome mental states to arise, to, to give ourselves good health and peace of mind. And this foundation allows the development of meditation to go well so that we can develop deeper insights into the true nature of our existence through meditation. Just look at our parents, for example. Today is uh, 
Mother's Day, so we're, we're recollecting you know, the goodness that our, our mother has done since we were born. From birth, our parents, they teach us everything. They bring us up, they look after us, they guide us and protect us. They're practicing dana and sila all the time with us. Our parents are practicing generosity with us without question. They just give and share what they have. They try to teach us to be good people, to do what is right and appropriate in our lives, not to harm other people. They try to teach us how to be a good person. So our parents, particularly our mothers today, we're remembering how how much she's done for us to to bring us up into this world and teach us to to live in a, a good way. The Buddha said that when we begin practice, we do have this sense of self. And we, we come into the world, we have a sense of being one who gives dana or gives charity. We are one who keeps sila or one who has morality or lives with morality. We are one who meditates and so on. And this arises out of our natural, our natural way of looking at the world. But as we practice uh, through this foundation of dana and sila and we put effort into our meditation, the mind starts to become peaceful and we can see through to a deeper level to see that really that there is this sense of self is really there's really nothing there in terms of self we can even consider how how we did arise in this world it was through the goodness of our parents they gave us everything our mother gives us her own blood through the milk that we drink they give us the material things, they give us the love, the support, the, the mental uh, things that support us uh, psychologically and mentally in, to give us good mental health. They give us everything. So you can see, even though you might have a very strong sense of self, sense of purpose, sense of uh, self-identity, but you can't help but have to admit that we actually uh, gain so much from others, and particularly our parents. The practice of generosity then, morality and meditation, it teaches to look at this on a deeper level, to open our minds to the truth, to see that you know, we are not an individual completely isolated and independent on our own. We also depend on others. This is how our hearts and minds train to develop an understanding of the deeper truths. Our parents gave us so much. They gave us birth. They gave us help from day one of our lives. They bring us up in so many ways. What they're showing us is that we, we are not alone and we also have a debt that we owe to them. They, they've done so much for us. We have to learn sometimes how to reflect back and look and see to appreciate what they've done for us. As we practice, uh, practice the Buddhist path, this naturally arises in the mind. We start to see um, what we call the pupakari, the, the, the way our parents have supported in us in the past to bring us where we are today. We couldn't have been here without them. No parents, then we wouldn't be here. It's just a natural truth, isn't it? We, we start to recognize that as the mind becomes more clear and we contemplate the truths of life. We start to recognize that there are those people who have helped us in the past and supported us and allowed us to, to do what we can do and to be where we are today. It's not just material things either. They give us warmth and all kinds of um, support. They give us advice. 
wisdom and so on. They give us protection. All this good they've done for us. So the appropriate thing on an occasion like this is always to remember that. And we tend to bring, it tends to bring up a sense of gratitude, sense of appreciation of what they've done for us and also the wish to actually do something back in return, to help them in return. We don't just go our own way, but we, 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 we realize we also have to look after them, especially as they get older in life. When you reflect more deeply like this, you then start to see how understanding that there are these um, debts of gratitude we have in life, the people who have helped us, brought us up, it's another way of looking at this teaching of not-self, that we aren't alone or independent in this world in the sense that there are others who have helped us. We are not the only, only being here, uh, independent and isolated. As we contemplate like this, it starts to give us some deeper insight into what the Buddha was teaching. And you could say the practice of meditation to develop the deepest, deeper insights that help us to let go of our greed, our anger and delusion. This is the highest or the, the best way to repay that debt to our parents is actually to free our hearts from suffering by understanding the truth. You might say the highest thing we can do, the best thing we can do as human beings is to develop our minds through the practice to the point where we can actually experience the Buddha within, uh, the Buddha nature within our own minds. We can do this through developing ourselves in good ways through the practice. We can do this here, right here in uh, Warburton or in Victoria, wherever we live. It's not bound by time or place. It's through the practice that the Lord Buddha will arise in our own minds. And that quality of the Buddha, the purity, the compassion, the wisdom... But to do this, we have to follow the path of practice. We have to put effort into practicing generosity, morality, learning to listen to the Dhamma, contemplate the Dhamma, practice meditation, learning to quieten our minds and then reflect on the Dhamma to see the truth and improve our, or deepen our understanding of truth. As we do this, little by little, the mind becomes brighter, purer, more radiant. With this, it becomes more peaceful. We gain more clarity, and from this, we can understand more deeply. We gain more insight. We can maybe even come to realize the Dhamma as we're listening to a talk. In the time of the Buddha, there were many people who listened to Dhamma teachings and contemplating the words that they were listening to actually realized the Dhamma, penetrated the truth, and became enlightened. That practitioner, Subhata, he, he had asked to meet the Buddha when the Buddha was on his very deathbed. And the Buddha had walked all the way to Kusinara and lay dying with his attendant monk, Ananda, looking after him. Subhata came up, up, requested to have an audience with the Buddha to ask some questions. And out of his concern for the Buddha's condition, Ananda wouldn't let him speak because he didn't want to disturb his teacher. But Subhata was getting um, speaking quite loudly and wanted to go in, was quite insistent. So the Buddha heard the words of Subhata and told Ananda, he asked Ananda, sorry, what, what's happening, what's going on? And when he told him that Subhata had come to ask some Dhamma questions, out of compassion he still let him in to ask his questions, even though the Buddha was very, very close to his death. 
So then he asked this question, is it possible to leave footprints in the sky or do footprints exist in the sky? Meaning, do enlightened beings exist outside of the Buddha's teachings? And the Buddha answered, no, there's no enlightenment outside of the, um, the penetration of the Four Noble Truths and the development of the Eightfold Noble Path. It's not possible, just as it's not possible to leave footprints in the sky. So we must practice for ourselves then to develop this Eightfold Eightfold Noble Path, all the factors, diligently. Last night, we could see in the night sky, as it was so cold, lots of fog and mist came down and obscured the moon and the stars and the mountains, so you couldn't see anything. That practitioner, Subhata, he also contemplated in this way. He noticed how when uh, our moods of stress and suffering come up into the mind, our negative moods and mental states, they come in and they obscure the natural radiance and clarity of the mind. Just like those clouds or the mists obscures the brightness of the moon in the evening sky. And Subhata understood that he had to practice to develop the mindfulness and wisdom to be able to let go of the clouds or meaning these negative mental states of stress and suffering if he was to purify his mind. And receiving the teachings from the Buddha at that time, he did this and very quickly he reached enlightenment. He became an arahant. This was the last disciple of the Buddha before he died and it was the Buddha's compassion. He'd actually walked all that way to that spot so that he could teach that, that person before he died. So we have to look into our minds more deeply and see how they can easily be coloured or covered over by the different unwholesome or negative mental states that arise and that we grasp at. The mind is a bit like water. Water in its natural state, it's clear, it's transparent. But if you add some colour, some dye to it, then it will take on the colour of that dye. That's just like our mind. Naturally it's clear and radiant. But if we lack the mindfulness and wisdom, then when our moods and mental states of stress and suffering come up, we'll grasp at them and they'll cover over that natural radiance and we won't, we won't be able to see a way out. So we have to keep developing our mindfulness and wisdom to allow ourselves to have the strength to let go of these mental states and to see that they're just impermanent conditions of the mind that come and go like clouds or like colour in water. So we must keep practicing like this, developing mindfulness in daily life, whether we're doing formal meditation or we're at work or whatever activities we are involved with. Keep trying to bring up this inner awareness of mindfulness and use that to help yourself investigate the Dhamma and to look after your mind. You have to learn how to let go of your negative moods that that bring up suffering. If you notice you're getting irritated or angry in life, we'll bring up a mood of uh, a reflection on kindness and compassion to help you eradicate that negative mood of anger and so on. Whatever it is, the mood or the mental state that we're experiencing, whether it's liking and attraction for something or dislike and aversion for something, learn how to contemplate these to see they are just conditions of the mind that arise and pass away. They're not really us, they're not really ourselves. 
if you keep developing mindfulness and wisdom in this way then sooner, you, sooner or later you'll start to experience the, the true nature of the mind you'll see its purity and radiance for yourself so in conclusion please determine yourselves to practice with your own heart and mind to develop the wisdom and the understanding that the Buddha had this is what we call right view or samaditi training your mind to look at the world and look at this life in the correct way this is something we have to develop and put into practice in our daily lives and the most important thing is to see that everything begins with our mind whatever we say we do in this world arises first from a thought from our mind so that's where we have to really train ourselves we have to practice dhana, keep the sila, learn how to meditate but all of that begins from the mind developing the mind in the right way the right way of thinking, the right attitudes, the right views just as we've developed this monastery the physical side of the monastery the buildings and facilities and so on we also have to develop our minds simultaneously we have to learn how to bring the teachings into our minds into our hearts and use them to, to uh, develop them in the right way we have to learn how to develop the skill of letting go of our negative moods of stress and suffering we have to develop the mindful awareness to see this mind, to know it and to see these moods as they arise to see that the mind is one thing and whatever mental state or mood arises in it is a separate thing if we can have that kind of knowing and understanding then we will be able to let go of suffering and its causes if we keep developing mindfulness in this way then little by little this will grow into samadhi into states of peace and calm that we can use to contemplate and from that we develop insight so today we've come together to recollect the, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha on this occasion of Visakha, Vesak and also to recollect the goodness of our parents and particularly our mothers on Mother's Day we've come to continue our practice of developing dhana and sila and bhavana uh, for the highest benefit for ourselves and for other people so in conclusion I wish you all um, success in your dhamma practice may it be a cause for you to find true peace and happiness for yourself may you be successful in what you do in your lives, in your families may you finally come to the end of suffering <coughs> he wishes everybody may you all reach enlightenment <laughs> <laughs>